you've never gardened, um, I would encourage you to. Even if you're like, I don't have the land for it, you can build a garden box and you can get the pots and you can get the hanging ones. And Because in gardening, um, you experience like all the, the joy and frustration, I think, that God looks at us with. <laughs> I, think he, I think he looks at us with joy and I think he gets all of the things that we struggle with. But when you're gardening, you have this anticipation and this picture in your brain of all that your garden should look like. Like being a perfectionist, I like neat lines and I like everything to be in order and I like to make, okay, so if you put a line here, you drop the seed here and then you start to see these little buds come up out of the ground and it's all in order and it all is in a line and then it starts to grow even more and things start crossing lines and you're like, hey, 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 what's happening here? No, 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 don't reach over into his part. This is not, this is looking crazy. And then the tomato plant gets too heavy for the thing and it knocks it all over and it starts growing into your cucumbers and it's just this chaos, but it's life. It's going crazy. It's growing and it continues to spread out. And being a perfectionist, I struggle with some of the crossings over, but I don't struggle with the fruit or the harvest that comes with these gardens. Like I love it. And, and the pulling of weeds and the the, the joy of, 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 of pulling the harvest and, and putting it in a basket and taking it in your house or, or even just the frustration of why isn't this plant growing? Like, you, ju- you just sit there and you get frustrated and you're like, I've done everything. I've put my hands in manure and I've, put, you know, I've dug holes. I've done all of these things and nothing is happening. And so all the frustrations you feel and all the joys you feel with gardening, I really see so much. The Lord has taught so much when I read through His Word and go, oh, now I get it. So if you're not a gardener, be one. It's, it's, worth, it's worth the lessons that the Lord can teach you through it. And that was totally unscripted and totally um, just a, if there's a gardening company out there that wants to pay me, I would uh, love to be your spokesperson. Um, last week, Tim talked about pay attention. He talked about listen. He talked about this, this idea that Jesus says to us where if we don't take in and pay attention and listen to what he's saying the little bit that we do have would be taken away from us. This is a tough, heavy thought. Like, to, to, to turn deaf ears on the simple things of God means that we aren't able to receive or understand anything beyond that. And the fact that we have been given the little bit that we have actually gets taken away too. And so that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a frustrating thought. But at the same time, we also see that Jesus stands ready to give us more and more and more. And in fact, all that we can handle of his teaching he is ready to pour out. It has everything to do with the condition of our heart, the condition of our ears. Are we listening? Are we paying attention? And in the same vein, this week, Jesus continues with the pay attention, listen up. And the, the parables we're looking at in the Gospel of Mark, um, there's two. The first one is only found in Mark. Most parables are kind of found throughout all of the Gospels, but this first one is only recorded for us by Mark. Now that should not concern you. It should not make you go, why not? It should actually encourage you. Uh, John chapter 21, he actually says this of Jesus in verse 25. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Have you ever thought about that? Like, have you ever, have you ever wondered, like, how much more life springing up did the disciples see that's not recorded for us? How many people got to see life restored or returned that is not even written down for us to know about? 
How many things did the disciples, how many healings did the disciples get to see? How much life popping up in unexpected places did the disciples lay eyes on that we don't know about? Because John says that it could fill the whole world. Books and books and books of the life Jesus brought everywhere he went. But for the time and focus, we won't talk about all of that. We'll just talk about these two parables. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the, for the harvest time has come. Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Parables, um, we said the last several weeks, are kind of a test. And I, not to freak you out, but they're not a pass-fail test. It's not, you, you're either worthy or smart enough or intelligent enough to understand these things, or you're not, so pass-fail. It's actually like you would test the conditions of soil, testing the conditions of metals, precious metals, testing the conditions and seeing what they are made of. And the reality is parables are a tester of the soil of our heart. Can we hear what God is saying and speaking do we receive it? Do we understand it? Do we put it into practice? And so parables have a way of revealing the conditions of our heart. Now, when I teach um, teenagers and, and talk to them about the Scripture, and, I, and I've done this before, but when it comes to Jesus' parables, there's an interesting thing that goes on. And I, I don't know, you may, have, you may have experienced this too, but you can see, you know, you, you open up, you, you start reading in the Scripture, and typically maybe there's a story or a, a picture maybe that you're drawn to. And so that may be the first thing you see in a parable. And that's typically what happens with a parable that Jesus tells. There's a story. So there's a picture painted. And how are we when we see pictures? We're like, hmm, ah, oh. But what happens with a parable is somehow, and maybe this has happened to you, it changes from a picture to a mirror. And when it changes to the mirror, we kind of go, ooh, ooh. I see how much I don't get. I see how needy I am. I see how much I don't understand. And the beauty of the mere moment is when we are willing to go, I don't really get this. The beauty of the window shows up. The scripture, the parables that we see become this doorway, this window into the heart of God. You see his desires, his words, his plans. And so we go through this motion This when we read the scriptures and we, we see these. It starts as this picture. We're drawn in by it. We're like, ooh, that's a cool picture. And then wait a minute. We realize that the Bible is reading our heart. And we're like, oh, man, I feel terrible. But then we're really like, oh, I'm dependent on God. And then we're like, oh, wow, I can. I can be dependent on him. 
He's worthy of my trust. He's worthy of everything. And so the Bible becomes this window into the heart of God. And so I don't mean to go all Yoda on you. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to be this way. But, but parables are not just some goofy sermon illustration that you're going to hear from me. They're not just for us to go, you know what? I identify with this character or this character or this character in the story. Or what do I think this is about? No, they really become a tester of the heart. And so Jesus uses this parable to, to draw you in, but there's a this understanding that begins to go, how needy I really am. And then that window where we get to see God as the one who meets us makes all the difference in the world. And so for us, Jesus promises us that the more we set our ears to hear and obey His Word, the more understanding we will gain. For the heart that is ready to receive what God has said, we ponder the parable. We see our desperate situation and we say, God, we are dependent on upon you over and over and over these parables that jesus will give really do end up pointing to we are needing to be dependent on him and not ourselves just look at the themes of most of the parables and they will show a difference between a self-centered self-trusting lifestyle or a god-centered god-trusting lifestyle so what did we hear in jesus's speaking of this planted seed this first one I told you was unique to Mark, but it is stressing on how much you and I can't explain or take credit for the growth of the kingdom of God. Um, this won't be a message on the kingdom of God, and it could go on forever. And honestly, I just want you to know that the kingdom of God was Jesus' central teaching topic. He always was talking about the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist announces, announces the king. And later in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, Jesus later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. So this kingdom that Jesus comes talking about is not so that we can relate to him better. and Because people didn't understand Old Testament God, so New Testament Jesus comes in. No, God's kingdom is God's kingdom. He's announced it since the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. This is the story. The kingdom of God come close. The rebellion of a people, that didn't even keep God from keeping his promise. Jesus comes and ushers in this invitation to a kingdom. And it was his primary message. And he, in fact, when you just read it, he spoke about the kingdom all the time in parables to everyone so that they could understand what they understood. But later in Mark's Gospel, in chapters 9 and 10, we see multiple conversations about the kingdom of God. First, we see that, that Jesus says it'll come in great power, and there are some people standing with him that are actually going to see it come in power. And he could have been talking about the, the transfiguration, you know, where Jesus goes up on the hill, and it's transformed Moses and Elijah show up, and there's this big light show, and everybody's like, what? In Acts, the Holy Spirit comes in power, fills the room, and everybody's speaking in these foreign languages that people can understand. And so there's this pointing to these, these guys, we're going to get to see the kingdom of God come in power. And later in the same chapter, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus is like, you know, the greatest in the kingdom is a servant. <laughs> I mean, what kind of kingdom is the power found in being a servant? Typically, the earthly kingdoms we know of, it's crushing. Who can rule the best? 
Jesus says in this kingdom, the greatest will be a servant. Later, just a few verses later, Jesus says that to inherit this kingdom, to enter into this kingdom, you need to receive it like a child. And I want to make sure you understand that that is not a slap in the face of intelligence of humanity. There are many who say, we've got to be like a child because children are dumb. If you say that about children, you don't know them. Children are very smart. They can pick up on way more than you or I can. But do you know what does mark a child? Trust. Children trust their parents. Children trust adults. That's why I have to talk to mine about stranger danger. Okay? Children are marked by trust. And so for you and I, Jesus is kind of flipping everything and he's like, the inheriting of this kingdom isn't about my skill, isn't about my skill set, my intelligence, or lack thereof. It's about being marked as a child to receive this kingdom. And then he goes on and we have the story of the rich young ruler who goes away sad. And Jesus says to the disciples, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This freaks the disciples out. They're like, uh, then who can be saved? <laughs> and Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So this kingdom conversation is constantly going on in the life and touchings, and the hands, and the healings of Jesus. Jesus taught about and displayed this kingdom everywhere he went. Jesus came showing people how to enter the kingdom, how to receive the kingdom, and ultimately how to live this kingdom. Just read the Beatitudes in Matthew. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. These aren't things that are for later, but they are actually how people who are marked by this kingdom live. And it's not people going, you know what, I'm going to live by the way Jesus says to so that I can get into the kingdom. It's actually, no, the kingdom has made its way to me. And so now, because we live under this new kingship of Jesus, we live as Jesus lived. And so this kingdom was central to everything Jesus talked about. Some theologians suggest that because Jerusalem and Israel had this idea of what a kingdom would look like, they had misconceptions about the kingdom of God that Jesus only taught about it in parables. Because the nation of Israel was like, we're going to get a kingdom set up, we're going to get a ruler, he's going to rip us out from the thumb of any foreign empire, we're going to be our own people, we're going to squash all our enemies, we're going to rule and we're going to reign and we're going to be awesome. And Jesus actually goes, pump your brakes. <laughs> I don't need to slow down. My kingdom looks different. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom that doesn't look like what we would say, that's a strong kingdom. There's another way, a kingdom full of surprises. So what is this kingdom like? A couple years ago, an agricultural school in Iowa did a report. And I love when I read about these reports. They kind of get my brain thinking. But they, they, wanted to, they did this study on 100 bushels of corn being produced from one acre of land. And the goal was to see what did it actually take from a, for a hundred bushels of corn to be produced from one acre of land. And I, they did the science, and here we go. Four million pounds of water. 6,800 pounds of oxygen. 5,200 pounds of carbon. 160 pounds of nitrogen. 125 pounds of potassium. 75 pounds of yellow sulfur. And other elements too numerous to write down. 
And in addition to these ingredients, they required rain and sunshine at just the right time. Now they acknowledged the farmer's involvement in this crop being produced, but they estimated that only 5% of the produce of a farm can be attributed to the efforts of man. 5%. And if you talk to an honest farmer, he's like, I don't know how it grows. <laughs> it just does. Like, I go to sleep at night and it's still growing. You know, the sun comes up, still growing. It's day outside, still growing. It's dark, it's growing. And your reality is, we'll, we'll, probably, we'll try and dress up growth and say, well, we have the science and we have the words and a seed germinates and then pokes through the ground and then, yeah, but we don't know how it grows. We may have a hand in the conditions around the growth, but do you know how ridiculous it would look if I was outside at my garden going, grow! Like, just yelling at my, 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 my garden box. Grow! My neighbor who does a lot of like, um, Jason, that's, that's not going to help anything if you keep doing that. The reality is we can dress it up with a bunch of words and statistics and product, but we don't know how it grows. So with the kingdom. Though it may not seem to be doing anything, the kingdom is planted and the seed bursts through at just the right time. Whether we are awake or asleep, the kingdom is growing. Whether it is day or night, the kingdom is growing. Whether we see it or we don't, the kingdom is growing. And who grows the kingdom? God. With that said, growth is a mystery. And though you and I can have a hand in the conditions of this growth, you and I don't actually cause the growth. You and I can take comfort in knowing that this growth, although it may seem really, really slow, is promised. I mean, you probably felt it. You felt yourself struggling with the same issues, the same struggles, the same sin that you fall back onto, and you're like, oh, why do I do this? And then you go, you know what? I'm going to take this growth into my own hands. I'm going to get a book. I'm going to watch Oprah. I'm going to YouTube video. I'm going to start following therapists on Twitter. I'm going to go to everything I can online and in a, in a, in a, in, in wherever I can, and I'm going to grow myself. Success stories on that? Tried, failed, tried, failed, tried, failed, tried, failed, tried, failed, tried, failed, tried, failed. Right? But what we see here is God's word grows because he promises it will grow. He promises that the kingdom showing up, evidencing itself, being visible from the inside out, is at his timetable. The kingdom begins to spread and take root and punch through the crusty soil of our hearts. And then a leaf shows up and they were like, whoa, what is that? I typically respond in anger at everything, but I, I was a controlled individual in that moment. I didn't flip out on the car rental person or the, coat, the, the gate check guy or the TSA agent or the per I, I found myself being calm. That's so strange. Just the right time, his kingdom begins to take up more and more space because he causes the growth. We are dependent people on him. And the same goes for when we deal with other people. Because as Christians, we like to be like, well, God helped me grow. But yet when it comes to us, we think we can help other people grow. 
We think it's our responsibility to make everyone grow. It's like us standing, yelling at our garden boxes, GROW! And we've experienced the frustration of people trying to tell us how to grow also, haven't we? And it rubs us, rubs us the wrong way sometimes because we become projects, right? And nobody likes to be a project. I'm not a project, I'm a person. Nice to meet you. Same goes for you. The beauty of the kingdom of God is it begins to take up space as he grows it. Now you and I as Christ followers, this doesn't mean we get lazy. In fact, Jesus said to pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. And you know what happens when we start praying to God for workers? He sends us. <laughs> and you know what happens when he sends us? You know what we're supposed to do? What we're, we're really supposed to be doing? The Bible says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know what we listen for? We listen for the soil turning and moving. And for the moment those seeds decide to break open. Wait, I just heard, I just heard a seed crack open. It's germinating. Wait, I just saw a leaf poke through. I'm seeing somebody's interest in, in, in God and, and conversations are beginning to develop and I don't have to force these doors down. All I'm doing is paying attention and I'm listening and I'm going, God, are you at work? God, where are you working? Because all I want to do is be where you're at and I want to watch and I want to see you do these things. And yes, we can water. Yes, we can, we can plant seeds. Yes, we can do these things. But the scriptures are really clear that God is the one who causes the growth. And so as Christ followers, we don't get lazy. But we are people who listen really good. We listen to see where that that growth is happening where the kingdom is branching out, where people who used to not have a concern or care for the things of God have asked the question, have begun to show concern for things in their life, have begun to pay attention to the things. They don't want to be who they say they are anymore. They want to be, they want to have purpose. They want to have a value. They want to know that they matter. They want to, this is where we go, oh, Lord, you're at work. You're doing stuff. And the beauty of when those things become ripe is that at harvest time, when you're in your garden and it's harvest time, do you just pick a cucumber and then throw it on the ground? What do you do with it? You gather it. You put it in a basket. You bring it in your house. You do a little happy dance that you actually created something. And then you Instagram it. You put a nice filter over it that makes it look greener than it really was. But you gather these things in and you bring them into your home. This is what theologians call the barn of fellowship. Like, and I love that phrase. Because when you're, when, it's, when, you're, when you're recognizing that growth has happened, you don't just pick the strawberry off the plant and throw it on the ground. No, you pick the strawberry and you add it to the basket. And you bring that basket inside and you gather and you celebrate. And this, whether it's now or in eternity, there is always gathering going on. And for the Christ follower, our desire is to see those moments of people who are sitting there going, I suddenly have an interest in God that wasn't there two days ago. And we want to be intentional about seeing that growth continue. And so a gathering happens because God is at work always. The second parable is a rather famous one, that of the mustard seed. And I love how it introduces it. Jesus says, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? Like, asks two questions out loud. Have you ever had a teacher or a professor who was like, ask questions out loud that you're not supposed to answer, but <laughs> they just ask them out loud? Why do they do that? Because you kind of lean a little bit closer. You kind of pay attention. Wait, he's asking a rhetorical question. 
All right, now he's going to drop some truth bomb on us. Here we go. And Jesus does it. No, the mustard seed may not have been the smallest seed in the world. And there are people, there are Christians and people who like to argue, well, there's a seed smaller than the mustard seed, and it's the orchid. And we start to yell and argue about these things that don't matter. But the reality is the parable communicates this truth that the mustard seed would have been the smallest of all garden seeds that were planted within these communities in Israel. The mustard seed was very symbolic to them as something that is very tiny. And when it comes to a parable, you and I, we can all start trying to be these investigators and looking at all these secondary things and go, hmm, wow, what is this? What does this mean? There's typically one central truth to a parable. Now, we don't like that because we want to think, well, we're smart and we've discovered a new truth. No, we have But the tiny mustard seed, and just as it may not have been the largest of all garden plants, it would have been for them. See, in in Israel, they knew that when they planted a mustard seed, that they were going to have to plan for more space being taken up by this plant than they probably planned for. Because they were known for growing very big. Some of them could be nine, ten feet tall in a garden planted, which would have by far stood much taller than the other garden plants in one of their gardens. Now what seems the smallest and insignificant now produces something so much greater than expected. I hold in my hand right here something very valuable to me, <clears throat> and it is the, an autographed basketball card of a guy named Anthony Spud Webb. Now, uh, you may or may not know who he is, and that doesn't matter doesn't break my heart that you don't know who he is, but in 1986, this five foot seven, how many of you are five foot seven? Right around five foot seven. All right, five foot seven. He won 1986 Dunks Championship. Look at this guy, all right? Five foot seven. My favorite thing about this dunk contest isn't just his dunks. My favorite thing was the reactions from the seven-foot basketball players. The seven-foot tall guys who could just reach up and you know. The reaction of their faces to this small man, literally small man, jumping as high as he did and winning a dunk contest. He beat Dominique Wilkins, for goodness sake. You know, by like, who's Dominique Wilkins? Don't worry. He's just a crazy dunker. But I love the reaction because I feel like there are times in my life when you see the kingdom of God going, man, there's no way it's doing anything. It's not at work. Nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, God steps in and the growth shows up. And our response is that of the dunk contest participants falling over in their chairs, falling out of their seats, going, this is insane. No one should be doing that. In high school, my my coach would always say, do not sleep on this team. And what he meant by that was there would be a team coming in to play us that was smaller than us, shorter than us, a smaller school than us, and he would always warn us, do not sleep on these guys. They will beat you if you do not pay attention. If you do not do what we know we're supposed to do, they will beat you. The world is always amazed at the small beginnings that lead to huge results. 
You know, the, the movie Rudy, you're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. And we love those stories. And the truth that's communicated in both of these parables is that the kingdom of God, though starts as small as can be, seemingly insignificant, seemingly unimportant, becomes the thing that covers everything. You know, in, to, traditionally in Jewish writing, trees were significantly symbolic. And typically they pointed to foreign empires rising up. And the trees and this mustard bush and this picture of something growing is right in the middle of all that is going on. This kingdom grows up right in the midst of it and then begins to touch and cover everything. Now as we close tonight, there are two pictures that that I'm fascinated by when it comes to these, this plant, the mustard plant, and that is the life that it causes. The mustard plant would be a tree, a tree or a bush that would grow so large that it would actually provide shade for the other plants that may or may not need direct sunlight, and so they were allowed to thrive. Birds could literally land, hang out, catch some rest, Some would actually build nests in ones that were large enough, housing life, life happening all through this bush. But it wasn't just above ground that life was going on with the mustard bush. Underground, mustard bush and mustard plants have this kind of gnarly root system that kind of grow out and take life with them wherever they go. And so not just was the mustard bush working above, but it was working below And as its roots reached out, it was actually bringing life to other places in the garden. Secondly, this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God growing can cause frustration in us, right? Because if you look around, you look around at the world, you look around at surroundings, you look at things and stuff, do you get frustrated? I do. I say, God, are you serious? Your kingdom can seriously be at work here? You're seriously doing stuff? Like, you're really doing things right now? It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't seem like it. Are you actively doing these things that you say you are? And there is a resounding yes. These parables continue to point us to a a steady whether it be very visible or underlying confidence that God is faithful, that He is the one who will cause the growth. You will see over and over in these parables that we are a dependent people. He's not asking us to work harder, try harder, be different, work it up in yourself. It's always this underlying understanding that God is at work. This first parable speaks of the growth process. The second parable speaks of the shocking results of the growth. You know, I know, I can't imagine that Jesus and the disciples ever thought that their small beginnings would point us to where we are right now. Jesus, born in a seemingly insignificant trough. Jesus, calling 12 insignificant human beings. You know, he died a relatively quiet death on a cross that most of the world didn't know about until the disciples started sharing. 
There was a rather loud resurrection noise made, a little bit more loud, but, but truly, the statement of the mighty oaks growing from the acorn really has come to pass. History has shown that this kingdom continues to grow. God continues to be at work. The story of the gospel continues to cross oceans and boundaries. The kingdom is still growing. And more importantly, the kingdom's king is at work in our hearts and in the lives of people around us. Christ followers live as people of this kingdom, not because we find ourselves trying to get into the kingdom, but because we know the king. You and I work as people who are watering, who are planting, but we don't cause the growth because we know the the growth has been caused by God in our own lives. Jesus is the one who called us to himself. He brought us to life. So you know what Christ followers get invited to do? Bring life with us where we go. Seeing it. Praying that it would happen. Going, you know what? There's, this, doesn't, this seems impossible. It seems like no life can come from this. But God, I know what you did in me, so I'm going to continue to go. We want to see life popping up in places that people least expect it. Because we probably didn't expect it in our own lives. To know that he is pursuing us. So the people who plant, people who water, but God ultimately brings the growth. So tonight we'll just close and singing these songs of worship that really do call on the one who does cause the growth. We'll have a couple of our folks standing over here and myself over here. And if you're just like, hey, I just need you to pray for me. Because I'm feeling that struggle of the trying to force growth or I'm feeling like he, he's not actively at work in me and I just need those reminders that he is I don't know what it would be but if if you're like hey I just want somebody to journey this struggle with me that's what we're here for that's what we do this for we weren't meant to journey it alone or go it alone but if that's you that's what these guys and these gals will be standing up front for but I'm just saying as Jesus said pay attention listen to his words take heed Because Jesus stands ready to give you more and more and more of himself. Father, we love you. And I just ask that in these moments, as we consider the kingdom and what it's like, I do pray for those who are frustrated because they find themselves in those same cycles. But Lord, would that restore their confidence that you have promised growth. You promised it. And I ask that we would be dependent on you for every moment. And I pray for those that we're journeying with who we hope and long for the growth of the kingdom to begin to show up in their lives, that it would give us a renewed prayer life for them, that it would give us a renewed patience with them, that it would give us a renewed, I don't know, how you want to minister through us to them. Because God, we know you're the one who causes the growth. May we have our ears to the ground, listening and watching for your kingdom's advancing. It's in your name we pray.